Hello, hello, what is up? And welcome to Off the Books, where we're surfing the uncharted waters of accounting, of finance, and wherever else those waves take us. This episode is brought to you by Workiva, the connected reporting and compliance platform. I'm Drew Dubner, and I'm your host. I'm not an accountant, but I like asking questions of people who are, so finance professionals can do their jobs better. And boy, howdy, we got a good one today. We got Steve Soder and we have Connor O'Kelly joining us from across the pond. Steve, would you tell the fine folks at home who you are? Yes, happy to be with you, Drew. Steve Soder, accounting enthusiast and Diet Coke aficionado. Very much looking forward to debiting an update with our good friend, Mr. O'Kelly. Mr. O'Kelly. Indeed, yeah, and, and um, good afternoon again from the Emerald Isle. Very pleased to be with you all. I'm hoping you can. I'm hoping you can teach me some uh, something I haven't heard or known so far, Steve and Drew. So let's get into it. Oh, we're wow. going to be in trouble. We were kind of hoping you could teach us some stuff. <laughs> and that's the end of the episode. <laughs> Just kidding. So it's been a hot minute since we caught up with our international correspondent, Conor O'Kelly, about what's going on over on his side of the pond in the Emerald Isle. Last we spoke, it was like May, and the world was way different back then. I don't even remember May. We're playing with a whole new paradigm over here, and the world's all sorts of different over there as well. So, Connor, you know, straight from the top, what's been on the minds of accountants in, in Europe and the UK? What's going on? Yeah, so I think if, I think last time we spoke, Drew, we were in the middle of kind of pandemic uh, and first lockdown. I, I think most of Europe now has kind of come out of first lockdown, got into a second lockdown, uh, come out of a second lockdown and kind of starting to look now at a kind of a broader lockdown uh, or a kind of protracted lockdown. But from an accounting perspective, I think I suppose we've seen a couple of waves of activity over the summer. First of all, was kind of the initial kind of keep the lights on uh, and keep the business running uh, that we, and, and support staff and, and and, and support remote staff and staff welfare and well-being, etc. A lot of that, uh, you know, in in kind of uh, April, May, June or so. I think as we went into June, then there was maybe a second wave uh, of, of accounting activity, at least, uh, which said, "Hey, this kind of COVID impact is here for the medium term." And so, accountants very much focused at that stage on kind of process re-engineering, process resilience, and building out processes and redesigning. Uh, processes and things like kind of fulfillment, flow, supply chain, uh, sustaining uh, businesses over the longer term, a large, more sustained shift to virtual working and, and supporting large numbers uh, working remotely in a digital environment. You know, there's a sense now that we're coming into reporting season for those with December year ends. Uh, the regulators have, have again, at this time of year, they put out their expectations on the market and observations on where they see weakness in the market or risk in the market uh, that they will go audit um, as we go through the cycle. So like virtual technologies, we can't have an episode of the show without talking about everyone's working remotely. It's the topic du jour. Uh, you know, Connor, in, in an earlier conversation, I, I think you kind of started to, to wade into this with, with your response there. Uh, you mentioned that this was a really contentious reporting season as well. Um, that's that seems like a pretty hot take. What do you what do you mean by that? Yeah, you know, I think the, the there's certainly uh, look. I mean, there's certainly a degree of risk in the financial reporting season this year. I think we're picking it up from uh, regulators, from the accounting profession, 
from some of the kind of the standards bodies as well. You know, I think the risk of, of compromise and the risk of kind of financial reporting risk, I think, is higher this year. Uh, Drew, this personal opinion, it's higher this year than it has been since the 2008 financial crisis, uh, to my mind. There's, there's a whole kind of bunch of, of risks that just come immediately to mind that have kind of, you know, crystallized over the last uh, period. You know, things like time constraint decision makings, kind of reduced capacity and capability due to kind of downsizing the whole management of staff, the impact of furloughed staff, segregation of duties, bias reduction in staff numbers and kind of were those furloughed staff kind of impartial, uh, you know, were tra- staff treated kind of uh, impartially and fairly. There's a lot of conversation around the, the presentation of financial information uh, and, and maintaining the, the true and fair value of that, you know, is, uh, I think there's no doubt at all that there has been an increase in COVID-related fraud, cyber, online, phishing, scams, supply chain uh, shifts, if you will, um, and, you know, either intentional or non-intentional uh, interpretation of, of government grant and how to go, how to go, uh, you know, support that uh, and claim that correctly. Um, and then there's kind of the whole uh, remote working aspect, you know, have you maintained your health and safety in the workplace? Uh, legal obligations to staff, the organisation of working time. How are you controlling now that your staff are working regulated hours and not overworking, uh, which of course is is a, a, a statutory violation in a lot of the European countries. Even something like office ergonom- er- ergonomics. Connor, I, I I really appreciate you bringing up the whole ergonomics, Drew. That reminds me, I was meaning to have a conversation with you about my uh, home office setup. Yeah. Um, Steve, I was going to recommend don't get a standing desk, get a lying desk. See if you can just like lie on the ground. I think that's more ergonomic that way. I, I, do, I do suspect, Steve, that your office is too comfortable. <laughs> it probably <laughs> is. I never seem to leave. Um, so, Connor, that's interesting to me that you talk specifically about uh, the risk of fraud. And I just wanted to clarify, I mean, in your view, is it that there are more bad actors out there attempting to use this environment to, you know, commit fraud, or is it simply that the watchdogs, those who are, you know, tasked with with looking out for that stuff, are just too busy doing other things? Maybe it's both. I mean, what's your view on that? No, I, I think I think fraud uh, fraud comes in, in in a variety of forms, uh, Steve. The uh, International Ethics Standards Board for Accountants have come out with guidance. Um, as recently as October 2020. Uh, and they pointed out that fraudulent reporting is often accomplished through intentional misstatement of accounting estimates. So the whole conversation of accounting estimates and how you've and how you've considered accounting estimates uh, and forward-looking estimates uh, is going to come up for a hot topic, I've no doubt, hot conversation on, on audit boards over the next kind of couple of months. Um, as they've tried to get their heads around COVID. And now, uh, you know, they're going to have to come in front of kind of audit committee with quantitative and qualitative uh, estimates to, to, to validate what they're putting into the financial statements, you know. Hmm. That, that's interesting. I, I mean, it really is. If you think about people having to quantify those types of things and, and, and to determine whether companies are in compliance or out of compliance, Obviously, there's an accounting and financial reporting implication to those considerations. Um, I would suspect that that's going to vary 
by industry, uh, you know, yeah. some industries that come to mind, of course, uh, restaurants, hotels. I mean, what, what view, Connor, do you have about specific industries that are facing these issues? The, the impact, Steve, for sure, has been very sectoral uh, and has been quite polarizing. Uh, look, I mean, the, the ones that come to uh, the ones that come to mind, uh, of course, are uh, things like the leisure, hospitality, hotel industries. Um, we've had two two big big blows on the UK high street today. We've had Arcadia, which is a big retail group on the high street, announcing thirteen thousand redundancies uh, straight after Debenhams. Uh, again, you know, a high street name, very well known high street name. Potentially twelve thousand uh, job losses there. So twenty five thousand job losses in in two days in, in the run up to Christmas. Um, as against that, you, you'll have seen. Uh, organization or some of the sectors flourish you know there's no doubt at all cloud computing and tech are doing very well um ironically one of the other industries that's booming is uh, that industry which recycles both aircraft and cruise liners uh, are is enjoying a particular boom uh, as a lot of the cruise ship operators have retired their fleets you know funny funny you mentioned that i was going to buy a, a hull of an old aircraft and put it at the off the book studios and turn it into a studio booth. I, I think I think I can afford that. I can imagine I can buy a scrap airline for oh forty bucks. I, I think I think at this stage you could probably buy a scrap cruise ship uh, for the price the of VCR. Or something. Yeah, I mean yeah. The, the, the cruise ship recycling business and scrap business apparently is absolutely <laughs> honestly true. I bet they pay you to take it off their hands. Note to self: yeah, start cruise ship recycling business. Well, you know, Connor, let's let's talk about the airlines specifically. I mean, holy cow, there's there's an entire Wikipedia entry about airlines that have been impacted by COVID-19. You've got bankruptcies, you've got restructurings, uh, you know, and, and in the U.S., of course, we think about, you know, the large, I don't know, three or four airlines here, but there's a lot of smaller regional players mm -hmm. uh, in Europe in particular who are really, really being hit hard I, I wonder, Connor, and, and back to the comment, uh, back to our discussion about fraud and so forth, do you feel like this could also be a potential for some of these hard hit industries, such as the airlines, you know, to be using the kind of big bath accounting that we talk about where, hey, it's not really related to the pandemic, but there's some things we need to clean up on the balance sheet. We're going to write those things off or write those things down. And I, I mean, I'm just wondering, Connor, I, we yeah. see a little bit of that in the U.S. Is that is that similar to uh, what you're seeing in the U.K.? Yeah, somebody, and I forget where I heard it, Steve, but I heard it said, uh, not in the accounting community, of course, uh, but I heard it said inside the last 10 days, like it's a good year to bury bad news. Um, yeah. You know, and I, and I think what uh, the regulators are very mindful of that as well. Again, some of it, and again, I mean, if we go back to, you know, the fraudulent reporting uh, through accounting estimates, etc., they're particularly looking at that. And again, you know, the the, the, um, the kind of the breaches or the kind of the, the um, you know, violations, if you will, can be by commission or omission or kind of uh, you know intent or non-intent or kind of delivered or non-delivered. Um, but look, I mean, I'm I'm I think what we're seeing uh, from a variety of of, of um, sources right across the industry from the accounting associations 
from the International Accounting and Auditing Standards Boards, from the International uh, Ethics Boards, from the regulators from the SEC, from the Financial Reporting Council, from ESMA, which is our European regulator here. They're certainly very mindful, excuse me, they're certainly very mindful of that risk in the industry, uh, Steve, and they're very, very deliberate uh, to call this out uh, and call out the areas that they're going to be looking at in particular around accounting estimates. Uh, and what's kind of interesting, I'll call one out here from the Financial Reporting Council in the United Kingdom, uh, and they issued, uh, you know, some tips and some tips for the market in October 2020. So quite deliberately ahead of the reporting season. But they alluded to the Companies Act 2006, which is kind of the primary Companies Act that we, that we report against here in the United Kingdom. Um, but what they've called out is, you know, a desire or an ability to describe in the annual report how the interest in the matter set out in Section 172, which is the director's report, have been considered in board discussions and decision making, right? Not what they are, not what the conclusion was, but how have they been how have they been considered in board discussions? So at board level, who said what? Who was bringing what to the table? What conversation was there around accounting estimates? Uh, and what was kind of the backward and forward between, uh, you know, the accounting estimates and the assumptions uh, and those charged with governance before those figures landed finally in the annual report? Connor, Steve, we have to take a quick break for a commercial. Back in a minute. Today's episode of Off the Books is brought to you by Workiva. But I'm not here to talk about Workiva. I'm here to talk about grilled cheese sandwiches. Have you ever thought about how perfect and yet so simple the humble grilled cheese is? It is just bread and butter and cheese, but it is so much more. It melts. It stretches. It is gooey, which is not an adjective I use lightly, dear listener. More importantly, it pairs well with all sorts of delicious things. Tomato soup? Oh, absolutely. Onions and prosciutto, si senor. Peanut butter and fig newtons, I have not tried that, but I am sure it would not be that bad. Point remains, things are better when you combine good things with other good things, which is the basis of the Workiva platform. Bring your SOX compliance and internal audit and SEC reporting and all that other financial good stuff into the same platform, and heavenly flavors will emerge and the angels will sing in the ether. Yes, Workiva, get gooey with it. And learn more at workiva.com slash podcast. That's W-O-R-K-I-V-A dot com slash podcast. And we're back. Hey, Connor, recently on Off the Books, we had a really exciting, interesting show about the Paycheck Protection Program, which is, you know, loans given out to small businesses to, to stay afloat in the middle of the pandemic. Um I imagine there was something similar going on in the EU and the UK to help keep small businesses afloat. Can you get us up to speed on what that might have been, assuming there is? Yeah, of course. I think every country had one of them, Drew. I know here uh, we had the PPP, outside the PUP, Pandemic uh, Unemployment Payment, which was, which was very much the same thing. Did people call it the PUP? No, we called it the PUP because oh. we we should be very I had to try. I mean, it's it's called a pup. Carol was trying to be trying to be serious. Um, no. Yeah. Look, I mean, you know, those those programs uh, very much were a lifeline for not only small but large business and, and, and global multinationals uh, operating in Ireland, US 
global multinationals uh, availed of that uh, to a great extent as well, and we all availed of it to a, a great extent. Um, look, you know, and, and I think at, at this stage, there's a, a range of, of sectors that are struggling and struggling significantly in terms of kind of viability and, and their, their ability to stay open, and that will remain uh, you know, a significant part of, of government support and, and, and kind of government assistance here, uh, I would have thought into the new year. Um, so that's that's still very much uh, that's still very much in place. Yeah. Was that Connor? I had heard with uh, one of the subsequent rounds of lockdowns in the UK um, that that employees were able to get, I think, up to eighty five percent of their normal comp. Is that is that part of the part of the pop, or, or are those two separate things? It's not a pup, Steve. <laughs> it's a pup on this that. show. <laughs> it's, um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know the exact. I don't know the exact uh, um, kind of parameters in front of me, Steve. But I mean, it, it's it's the same type of thing. Yeah. So government will will subsidise the wages uh, for a, a particular period of time, uh, up to up to a particular, a particular percentage. Yeah. Got it. Well, Drew, if there's a way for me to make 85% of nothing as part of our work on off the books, maybe we should have another conversation. Um, well, well, Connor, we'd, we'd be remiss, I think, if we didn't just get your take on what's coming up in the next year, in 2021. I mean, one thing that seems to have popped up recently is uh, Brexit. Uh, sounds like there's a deadline coming up here pretty soon. But in addition to that, I mean, anything else you can predict or uh, share some insight with us? The last time we spoke, Steve, the bone of contention was the Irish border, uh, particularly in Northern Ireland, which is which is the only remaining uh, land bridge between the United Kingdom and uh, the European Union. Um, and I remember you made light of cattle crossing the border from uh, Northern Ireland into the Republic, which effectively, you know, they crossed from the United Kingdom into the European Union. Uh, and there was all a range of very... Um, significant health concerns around kind of how do you, how do you kind of regulate disease uh, and um, government assistance for the common agricultural policy and, and agricultural support. So there's a large range of kind of, well, of conversations around the Irish border, which which seem to be uh, resolved significantly. The um, ironically, what's what's popped up now, this the sticking point uh, with the United Kingdom and Euro and Europe is around fisheries. Um, and so now the conversation not so much about cattle crossing the border uh, as fish swimming from the European Union into the United Kingdom. Uh, so this seems to be the the, uh, the bone of contention. Ironically, as well, would you believe the uh, the whole uh, issue of potatoes getting imported from the United Kingdom into Ireland? Uh, has caught us all by surprise because we always assumed that the potatoes we were eating were Irish. Turns out most of them are coming from the United Kingdom. Oh my uh, gosh! Yeah, in a, in a shocker. And so there's now this kind of conversation which is kind of sweeping through the Irish population and the quality of our fish and chips, uh, which is comparable. <laughs> <laughs> So we're coming out of fish and chips. We're coming out of fish and chips. Uh, so those accountants, those accountants who are on the border that were like doing the tax declaration forms for the cattle going back and forth. Now they need to don, you know, scuba equipment and then get into the ocean, right? And then they need to, you know, monitor the fish and count them as they go back and forth. Is that is that what we're to understand? Well, well, well yeah. I mean, and the, the broader conversation around the quality of our chips as well. And are they going to be 
you know, with a homegrown chips, this is quite shocking actually, will the homegrown potato chip uh, be the same quality as the UK imported one? And, and kind of caught us all off guard because we always assumed that they were just Irish potatoes. There you go. Well, it'll be interesting to see how this all how this all comes together in 2021 for sure. Um, yeah, appreciate all the insights, Connor. Thank you. Pleasure. And that brings us to the closing question of the day. Hey, guys, you know, I was thinking back to what we talked about with airlines earlier. I kind of miss air travel. I like air travel. And I was wondering, what, if anything at all, do you miss about air travel as well? Um, the more mundane, the better, really. Like, for me, it's the little tiny bags of pretzels. I just like them. You can't, you find, you can't find pretzels that small anywhere. Uh, you know, I'm not sure if this is mundane or not, but for me, it's the predictability of about a seven and a half minute nap mm. because without fail, when we're taxiing, getting ready to take off, it, uh, it's, it's like Benadryl for me. Uh, it only lasts about seven minutes though, but that, uh, predictable, you know, seven and a half minute nap just does it for me. And of course the endless supply of Diet Coke, but that goes without saying. <laughs> yeah. Oddly enough, Steve, I was going to say the exact same thing. As soon as we start to push back from the gate, right, you know, doors are closed, seatbelts on, you know, they start to push back from the gate, that kind of six or seven minutes taxi time, you know, from the gate to the end of the runway, I'm out like a light man, right? Yep. Uh, 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 and that, that time is golden. Now, you know, what I've had to do now, of course, is kind of fall asleep in my office chair. <laughs> from the Zoom calls. <laughs> as soon as I'm found out, I'm sure I'm going to be wrong. But yeah. Well, I mean, I can go buy that aircraft fuselage, like I mentioned before. Yeah, and set it yeah. up and just me and Steve will come me. visit you. Uh, we, me yep. and Steve will come visit you, but only for the taxi from the gate to the end of the runway. <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. Oh, boy. I'm Drew Dubner. This has been Off the Books. Please subscribe. Leave an Apple podcast review. Mail me your leftover frequent flyer miles or tell your buddies if you like the show. Hey, if you want to be on the show, if you have questions, feedback, concerns, or recipes for Steve, me, or anyone else, email us at offthebooks, all one word, at workiva.com. That's W-O-R-K-I-V-A.com. Surf's up, and we'll see you on the next wave. Well, as I mentioned, my oldest son works at Five Guys, um, and he told me the secret. I will disappoint you, Drew, that he actually told me that I am prohibited, as he was prohibited, from sharing the secret of the Five Guy French Fry. Uh, so, so I press I'm record for nothing? No, this is still good. We can put this at the end. <laughs> this this is a reward. It's like the secret of the Wonka Bar, is it? <laughs> it's the secret of the Wonka Bars. Uh, it's but but here's the deal. It's not as difficult as you would think. In fact, I would say the quality comes from the simplicity. So that, that, that's what I would tell you about the Five Guy French Fry. And and see now we're in big trouble because if people realize this is me, Steve Soder, and my son, who I won't say his name to protect, uh, you know, the identities of those involved. I, I don't know. He could be in trouble. We've now put this out there that he shared the secret. So of five fried French. I said five <laughs> fried French guys, which is not the right thing to say. No, that's a different No, that's something else entirely. No, you're, you're thinking about something else, true. Oh, man. <laughs> that's a good hey. party in Paris. That's what's up. Yeah, it sure is. Hey, good times. Good times, hey, gents. Good times. Good times. <laughs>